<laughs> Do we know what this thing is going to be called, Frazier? No, but we decided that the world definitely needs another podcast. That is yeah. exactly <laughs> what exactly what's required. Uh, ChatGPT came up with some names. They were all pretty bad puns, playing on podcasts, AI, and startups. None of which had any taste. I forget what they were. If you can pull them up at some point, maybe towards the end of the segment, it'll be great. So I am Nabil Hyatt. I'm Fraser Kelton. We are doing a thing that is at least spiritually connected to a podcast that I used to do with my old friend and partner, Bijan. When I basically first got into venture, we started a thing called Hallway Chat. And the goal was not to be, I mean, very clearly, not to be the most well-structured, highest production (laughs) value place on the block. The goal was really just to lead with authenticity about a really crazy time at the beginning of the mobile revolution where it felt like everything was changing every single week. And of course, now we have a new time in AI that feels an awful lot like that. And I've got a new partner in Frazier, who's uh, now the new VC, who's a former founder and an operator. Actually, Frazier, do you want to talk about yourself at all? No, I do. You, nobody wants to hear us talk about ourselves on this. I don't think <laughs> you say this to founders all the time. There's nothing worse than VCs bloviating about themselves and their That's ideas. Right. And so right. we, we have to keep the second part of this. Otherwise, we don't have a podcast, but we can save people from the first. <laughs> yeah, there's these things called search engines, although we will discuss the potential disruption in those such things where you can look up our bios and figure out who we are. And if tradition holds and every week we're going to focus on a new AI product that we're actually using and trying to wrestle with and any of the insights that come out of that. I'm just trying, frankly, stay curious as we try and navigate all this new space. And of course, uh, Frazier will navigate the new venture landscape together. Uh, you can try and keep it to one venture question per week. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's, I'll, I'll try my best to limit it to one. This is a weird world. <laughs> so you, you told me the other week that you use perplexity for basically everything that you used to use Google for. Yeah, we did have this conversation. I I don't use Google anymore, really, as a search engine. I, I find mm. it's just not good enough. That doesn't mean I don't use Google, because it turns out there's a lot of things Google's done over the years that are not about search engines, per right. se. But pretty much all of my searches have gone to perplexity, and then some percentage of, of what you would loosely categorize as search now goes to Claude or ChatGPT. And yeah, I, I think perplexity, I think there's rumors about um, IVP having invested, uh, that we're out in the information this week, uh, some large rounds and so on and so forth. And, and, and on the surface, it feels insane to, to be investing and looking at something that's trying to compete directly with Google. But at the same time, how many, how many amazing AI products have you actually used and stuck in the last nine months of ChatGPT? And, and the obvious one that people talk about is probably code complete, right? Right. But yeah, they but, massive numbers, user numbers this week. So I think it's, it's. GitHub Copilot, it's ChatGPT. There's a lot of interest early on around rag-like systems for chatting with your docs, chatting yeah, with course. enterprise. Go, go Please let me talk to my PDFs. I think so. I want my PDFs to talk back to me, though. That's what I want. I want the synthesized voice of Sky to come back and, and tell me that, that I'm writing this memo wrong. But talk a little bit about perplexity and the product experience and the user like value that you get from it versus ChatGPT versus Google. Like it's interesting to hear that you go there all of the time for what used to be quote unquote search. I think it's a great example of sometimes little things matter. Yeah. I think Arvind and that team have done a lot of subtle things 
that make that product really work that are worth chatting about. First of all, the, the like six months ago when agents were suddenly all the thing for a minute, they launched a little, a little agent, which takes your search engine query and then tries to ask follow-up clarifying questions in order mm-hmm. to narrow down and, and make your search better. And that's a great example of, does it work all the time? No, when it works, it's absolutely magical. And so you're searching for something and then it actually in, in dynamic real time builds a little UI of say check boxes or radio yeah. buttons that say, oh, did you mean this or this? Now, obviously in the world of agents, everybody's figuring out exactly, uh, it's almost like agents are like self-driving cars so you can demo them. 80% in a wonderful demo in two months, yeah. but actually getting to be really performant and reliable is a, is a Herculean task, as I think all our builder friends are, are figuring out right now. But, but I think it actually works very well in Perplexity's case. And, and not least of which is a good example is, have you used Google's new generative engine oh, that they, they launched? The yeah, conversation? Well, they're basically S- their competitor to the Perplexity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. S- SGE, Search Generative Experience. I, I will tell you, it was the first time that I really had to reckon with two things. Number one, how painful it is when you have to ship your org chart in your business model. Because <laughs> <laughs> you, can now, you can now use it to do your first draft, they call it. So you go to the search engine that you've used for 25 years and you can write, write me a poem about tulips and it will write the poem about tulips and then you have your search results for for poems about tulips at the bottom. Like it just makes no sense. Oh, wait, sense just they still me. put in the Google search, they, right? With the Google ads put, and things, it makes no sense. It makes no sense, no sense at all. And the the other thing that I realized was they're vulnerable and they realize that they're vulnerable. If they're willing to ship this type of janky experience yeah. into yeah. their core product, they they don't know what to do because they have a business model, which is maybe the best business model of all uh, of all time that's at real risk here. And their, their solution is to allow you to do your first draft within the search results below it. I think maybe the optimistic story on this is they're shipping early, they're going to learn, they're going to iterate, and they're going to to figure it out because it's so economically important for them to do it. But I think that this is the first time in the past 11 months where I thought, oh, this is going to be a really interesting couple of years. I mean, and that's yeah, the I, optimistic I, story for, for Arvin, right? And, and perplexity. Yeah, I think it is. In general, with AI products, I just try to take the idea of slowing down all of my computer use. Right. That, that's how I thought about the next two years, which is just like, if I'm going to go do a search, then one out of every three times, take the time, do right. the search on three or four different engines, try weird stuff. And yes, that slows down everything, but you have to test your defaults if you're going to, yeah. if you're going to be on the edge, if you're going to really feel how all these things are really working and take the time to do that and have to fit into your day to day life. Otherwise, it's some random thing for a half an hour on a Thursday afternoon. Where you're like, I'm supposed to try this product now. What's my search? And that just doesn't. <laughs> Work. Right. I, I, so I've tried. I've probably done dozens of 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 searches on Bing, the new Google ish thing, and perplexity. And I had a weird one where I wear a beanie all the time. I saw Brad Pitt wearing a beanie. I was okay. like, "Where does he get his? Where does he get his beanie?" And if you just think about the old world of Google, where would that content come from? That content would come from some content farm somewhere. Someone at BuzzFeed wrote a listicle mm-hmm. <laughs> about mm-hmm. about about Brad Pitt's beanies. Or, or celebrity beanies. And then, right. and then Google scrapes that. And the economic model is obviously that I hopefully click on it sometimes. And then, and then BuzzFeed or whoever else gets a penny. This whole model is going to completely break down because one, Google, the searches were way worse on, on their website. It was slow. It gave back the, no, only one answer, not all the answers. 
And Perplexity right. just could have, did a very, very good job of, and I don't know what they're doing under the hood, but very, very good job of, I think, just doing rag across a deep corpus set of search results, retrieving out the right things, and then actually presenting them in a good format. Now, if I have to fast forward a couple of years, I don't think it'll even look like a search engine page, right? It should right. eventually look almost like that BuzzFeed page, just dynamically generated. It will it will be yeah. nicely laid out. The photos of the beanies will be on there. I'm using a really bad example, but these are the kinds of ridiculous things that people search for randomly on a Friday afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> and then and I also like one thing we talked about as well, I want to come back to is not all my searches go to perplexity. And I think a partner Yaz brought up and, and maybe we were talking about in the hallway is there really going to be one search engine in the future? So do you differentiate what you go to chat GPT for right now as an example versus what you go to Google for right now? Yeah, when, when I want to learn something, I go to chat GPT, right? So a lot of our job is, is being curious and trying to understand things. I no longer go because Google makes you do both a lot of work to pull out the information as well as like people have spent, I don't know, two decades now trying to go- game the Google search results so that it's become, I don't know, this adversarial thing where you're trying to put in the work to learn how to to get to the answers that you want. And there's a whole other side of the equation fighting to give you the junk uh, on the SEO side. I used to have some hacks, everybody does, who's an early adopter of a pen site, reddit.com, if you want to find out what the the best thing is. And yeah. you can now ask ChatGPT and it gives it to you. Oh, yeah. Probably the people that I have the most respect for as early adopters in terms of taste and product sense and like discerning input on these <laughs> types of things have basically said the same thing as you about perplexity, which which really caught me off guard. For me, it's a creature of habit and then the power of defaults and distribution where I have to, I have to actively fight that. And so I'm still finding myself going to, to Google and then when it's an important enough search, this is, I mean, maybe the optimistic story. When it's an important enough search that Google lets me down, I find myself then going to perplexity. And how many times mm-hmm. am I going to do that before I just go right to perplexity or something similar to that? To your question of when I go to Google, it's if I want to know how late the restaurant is open down the street, or I yeah. want to, it's it's all the stuff that you mentioned earlier that are are appendages to the original type of uh, reasons that we went to Google, right? Is the one box type of stuff. It is one box. I think Google as an internet search engine is is terrible. It's not just because of AI and being able to ask questions of things. It's also just the degradation of content on the internet, which of course, when there's a bunch of AI generated content will only degrade faster. I think I encapsulate that there's basically three searches. And, and maybe they end up being one product that rules them all eventually. Um, but it's also possible sometimes there's bifurcation that we, we see this happen in industries. And, and so maybe these end up being three different companies. The, the first one is I want one box results. I know it, it's a one shot answer. It's probably eight words. You probably right. know it. I know you know it. Just just tell me. Yeah. And, and Google has done a very good job of largely ripping a bunch of Yelp and other people's content off, turning it into beautiful little one box results. I still go to Google for that all the time. Second is inquiry, which you use the word learning. When I know that the first answer is probably Mm. wrong or I will be confused by it and I want to ask follow-ups, then I go to GPT or Claude. And then the third is research, which is close to learn, but different, where I just want an answer, but it's a big multivariate answer. That is the the research questions, which is obviously the actually... Perplexity is an amazing job on on the Reddit style questions. And frankly, academic scholarly publications as well. It's a really good job. Uh, so for me, research goes to perplexity, one box goes to Google, and, and inquiry goes to ChatGPT 
but this is this is early in the kind of the muck of everybody messing around with this stuff. So, so I, I, I'm curious to see how it, how it goes in a, in a couple of Yeah, somebody was telling years. me that the, the, the pessimistic story for all of this is that Google and now OpenAI have so many resources and, and some semblance of either distribution or brand that they may not innovate on the right product experience, but they can just rip it off once somebody delivers something that's like clearly resonating. And we'll see. I think that that's what makes this time so fascinating to me is in 2008, 2009, I think you and I would have had very similar views on how the uh, mobile landscape was going to play out uh, between Android and iOS. Maybe we'd get the relative share a little bit wrong. I think in this case, nobody knows anything. And there's a lot of big, big markets and products that are up for grabs for the first time in a long time. I mean, this is true, despite what Sam Lesson says that I think there actually will be an AI market. You like, told me you AI. were worked up. I haven't I haven't read <laughs> anything that he has to say. There's some semblance of 37 signals content marketing going on here that I just can kind of like push a little bit into the corner. But what's up? No, no I like he's, he's okay. Yes, of course. He's a little provocative, but I think these are long held beliefs, not just hot takes. Sam has a podcast with three other people, which is actually, I think, the best new podcast of the last year focused on tech. So less is more. Because specifically, it's four humans that actually like each other and actually know each other. And so there's real authenticity discussion as they talk right. about a bunch of things, which is not most shows, right? Most shows are canned content marketing. A anyway, so look, there's the first part of what Sam's rant is. And he has a rant on the show. And then he just released like a 975 page, probably generated by AI PowerPoint deck okay. that kind of like regales how feed is dead. AI is just a weird pipe dream trying to save VC. It's all going to crap. And everywhere you just start cottage software businesses. That's ostensibly the long story short of Sam's okay. pitch about the evolving ecosystem. I, th there's a part of it that first I agree with, which is that he has a framing that the kind of industrialization of venture capital phase is done. That, that at this point, the factory farmed B2B SaaS company is over. And right. city fees is that causing a bunch of late stage firms to, to crowd into seed, spray and pray. They're not really working with those companies. Just they have the, you know, they some junior partners been told to put money to work. So they're jamming yep. money into random seed companies and it's messing everything up. And so if you're a seed or series A fund, you know, wow, you got a real, you got a real problem. So mm -hmm. I, I believe that. But the second bit where he gets to AI, I think he's just anchored in his priors before AI, where it just felt like there was not enough innovation. So his feeling, I could like, I hope I don't boil it down the wrong way, is that fundamentally AI is a sustaining innovation, not a disruptive innovation. So it, it'll change the world, but it'll just be that Google adds AI and Facebook adds AI and it'll be fine. If you're Adobe, you win anyway, you just add AI and, and that kind of thing. And that there's no moat because it's all open source anyway. So what's the moat you're going to have? And there's no network effects. And that the tech is moving too fast for, for startups to keep up. I, I have a couple of like pretty basic flawed issues with this. <laughs> if the tech is moving so fast, isn't that the opportune time for startups? <laughs> Arvind, Arvind, Arvind is a 25 person team, I think, and he's out executing like everybody else who has tried to push into this space. And, and there's something remarkable about what he's doing. He, he's shipping both at the technical level inference that is like 2.5 times faster than than other inference platforms that are specifically focused on that. 
And then his product decisions are like tasteful and thoughtful, and he's not having to fight against legacy business models and an entire org chart that is calcified around an, an old way of doing things. So anyway, you, you teed me up, yeah, but uh, yeah, you keep no, exactly. going. I, I just fundamentally disagree that big tech is going to dominate. One of the things I love about what's happening in AI right now is that we talk to lots of investors that are quote unquote active in AI, and they are active in AI in wildly different ideas yeah. about what's going to work than we are. And Sam's going to operate as part of the ecosystem. That is ultimately a good thing for founders, right? We're going to get a, a spread of different capital to try a bunch of different experiments. We'll let it play out over time. But I do think, yeah, there, there are two flaws in Sam's argument. So one is like he overestimates the big tech's ability to execute, right? Most large companies struggle to adopt new tech. And at startups can find ways to sell against Google and Microsoft. And, and just frankly, one of my like little examples, there was a world where Microsoft dominated all of GovTech. Big, entrenched sales. And, and Google, when it was still a relatively early company, um, actually used cloud and, and pushed into that into that dominance in a way that I think, frankly, beforehand, you would have said would never work. Uh, and there's mm-hmm. lots and lots and lots of examples of startups using the disadvantage of a large company to their benefit, right? The second yep. is that I, I think Sam, as a, as a that entire generation of founders, grew up in a world where network effects were the biggest moat. And so I yep. think it, there's an anchoring idea that isn't that the moat? And, and so, you know, if you grew up in that world, in, you look at Facebook and look, network effects are an incredible, incredible barrier to entry. And, and, but at the same time, it's not the only way startups build durability. There were many startups with no network effects. Frankly, Google, search versus Microsoft that we were talking about earlier is an exact yep. example of this. Vertical integrations like Microsoft working from the OS layer up to the Office layer and launching Microsoft Office. Because Apple, Cisco, Cruise. It's lots of other ways other than network effects for a startup to build competitive barriers to entry. I think he's also over-indexing on large companies that are innovative in AI and forgetting that AI is going to transform every industry beyond big tech, right? Manufacturing and healthcare, and it's going to be a 20-year run just like it was for the internet. It's going to go hit every little part of the economy. Lots of those parts of the economy are going to deeply struggle to come up with a solution. And there, there's no incumbent advantage. Yes, some big company could build a solution for that area, but also so right. could a startup. And, and so it's all the normal things that happen with startups, right? Yeah. 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 Let's, listen, I'm a Satya Stan. And, and that lovely line that he made Google dance was like so fun. But come on, it wasn't Bing and Sydney that made Google dance. I had, it's just a really bad, crummy product. And everybody knows it's a bad, crummy product. It, it is open AI and, and what, what was shipped there that is making Google dance. And we just talked earlier about how like their entire business model is going to have to be reconsidered for a world where you can write a poem about tulips and then have search results put below it. Like (laughs) they have real fundamental problems that they're going to have to navigate. I think it's very easy to underestimate how hard it is for incumbents to change entrenched workflows, right? it's, It's easier for startups to start from scratch. And there's an inherent conflict that you called it out very first thing between these two ideas that, that this is a, sustaining innovation so companies are just going to add it and that it's moving unbelievably fast because it's yeah. not just moving unbelievably fast I and mean, this is a piece of how we how we are navigating the world right now with founders which is it's not just moving very fast at the foundational level layer layer at the model layer where there's new capabilities coming out constantly it's also moving really fast at the user expectation layer right at that top yeah. layer and so yeah. the, the, that, the last revolution in AI 15 years ago, we actually, as a firm, we didn't go that deep into it. We had Cruise and, and a couple of other investments. 
But part of the problem in that age of small models is that folks with the data and the distribution win, right? right. If you have all the data in your Google and the Gallup distribution, you're just going to win. Yeah. What feels different here is one, the data, everybody has access to the data with a few big exceptions. So there's no data advantage. And then the third D, if I want to keep this little D thing going, is is the design is changing, right? Like the the kind of context of a product like Descript is that you used AI to completely change the workflow on the front end of how somebody actually makes a podcast or edit a video in a way that was never true for the last 20 years. When the workflow and design changes, then the incumbents, like they can't completely change their workflows without alienating their current base. So they have incumbency disadvantage. And you see this with Adobe. They didn't, their their launch of a copycat product to Descript was Adobe Podcast. Now they didn't change a previous product. They had to start from scratch. They built a new UI. They launched a copy. It's pretty good. It's just getting started. We'll see what happens. They obviously have money and brand to go push it out into the market. They're going to try bundling all the things that large companies do. But that's no different than how large companies have tried to compete with startups for the last 30 years and startups. Have yeah, been just 30 plus fine. years. Sure. Yep. Yeah. The, uh, I, I think if you look at the past 12 months, you have seen incumbents move very quickly into this space. It, the whole world has, right? And I think part of it is we, we have a, a short term overestimating the impact and then long term we underestimate and there's going to be very profound change. But if you look at what the incumbents are doing, they're layering in cheap ways to leverage this technology, right? Hey, listen, we can now do some sort of like really amazing summarization around unstructured data. And our app is unstructured data because it's recording sales calls. And that is incrementally more useful for that product. And it, it's pretty awesome that they move so quickly to introduce these types of features and functionality. But I think that it's an absence of imagination to think that there's not going to be entirely new user experiences that are delivered off of this technology, especially because the technology is strictly only going to get better from here on out. And you said this, I'm stealing your line, is I don't even think we've seen from the artists and creatives how to use this technology appropriately yet. And I think that that's fair. If you think the problem is a puzzle, then large companies have a huge advantage. Puzzles can get solved by throwing money at the problem. But if the problem is a mystery... Founders have a chance to win because agility wins and you need judgment, something that large companies have a problem with. Yep. I very much agree. Like I, the way that I think about the world is there's this continuum of project to product and on the project end is doing things right. And on the product end is doing the right things. And I, I feel like the jigsaw metaphor is like <laughs> slide it all the way over to project where you're doing things right. Right. So this is a puzzles versus mystery situation. And there will be parts of the market, absolutely, which feel like puzzles. Let me just add a chatbot client. Let me get the retrieval properly. Let me add it to my product and we're done. And in the right. mysteries places where this technology will lead to new types of interfaces and new types of experiences that don't sit anywhere comfortably where an incumbent has previously been, that's where startups have the advantage. And you're right. If you just need to have a 12-month known roadmap for shipping AI, (laughs) then let's coordinate all your cross-functional stakeholders and make sure that they're bought in and and (laughs) you check the boxes. And if it's figuring out the, the right thing... I think we're so early in in understanding the types of experiences that this technology can provide for us, and and we're we're just getting started. Like I think, as you said again, like the creatives haven't shown us what's possible just yet. 
Yeah, that's right. That's right. I'm, I'm going to throw to you actually on the spot. I know you're not prepared at all for this, but we just went through a process. We were, were talking to a bunch of limited partners. So for those who don't know venture capital, we actually have to raise money just like founders raise money and, and largely from nonprofits, endowments, pension funds, places like that. So when, when we make money, that's the, where the money goes to, to, to those kinds of organizations. Was there anything about that process of talking to some LPs over the course of the AGM in this last week? Uh, that caught you by surprise? It's surprising how much felt very similar to being a founder raising capital from VCs and then how some of it felt so different. You and I sat through a whole host of different meetings and there was meetings where the vibe just was great from the hello, right? And yeah. people are leaning yeah. in and it, it feels it just feels great. It feel, the entire experience feels great. And then there's some where you sit down and you're like, well, the vibe here is not quite the same as the vibe that just was in the other meeting. I'm not <laughs> sure how this is going to turn out. The other thing that is very similar is you just get into a groove, but you have to have some feeling of spontaneity in the discussions. Yeah. And when when I was pitching VCs, you'd get to the point with the deck where you would have a pause and you knew, you knew nine times out of 10, they're going to lean in with this question and you yep. didn't you didn't you didn't pitch it so that you could get ahead of the question. You pitched it so that they would ask the question because you knew the answer to give, but it had to feel spontaneous. There's a theater to all of it, right? There's a theater to pitching. And I, I do think for an engineering mindset when they're going out to raise money, a lot of times the answer is let me answer all the questions in the deck and let me get it in order. And somebody asked that question there. I got a slide for that. I used to do a thing, it's hard now in Zoom land. But I used to do a thing when I was pitching where I would take one question that I knew was just an absolutely plum tee up and, and I would remove the slide and then have yeah. them ask the question. And I'd be like, <laughs> that's interesting. Do you got a whiteboard marker? And, and the act <laughs> of you, just, you get up and you walk over to the whiteboard and you're sketching and talking in real time. And man, it, it just, it, it pulls the room together. The place where it was surprising and different and it continues to be surprising for me is that we can spend our day talking to founders who are trying to create a future that may or may not take shape in two years, three years, four years. I mean, with, with Cruz, it was eight years of Kyle grinding, right? And then we step into a world where we have to talk about portfolio construction. And it's just very strange <laughs> yeah. to think that the entire world works because of portfolio construction, right? And the risk that you take on so that these these outliers can actually have oxygen and come to life. Well, I mean, I, I do think that for the folks who, who came into venture in the last four or five years, they're learning a, a really key lesson right now. And they have learned a really key lesson over the last year. There's a reason why it it actually works. I'm a person who like, it's like what, what Winston Churchill said about the democracy. Venture is a very flawed model. It's just that it's the best model that we have for sustaining innovation. I mean, the other alternatives, if you look at things like corporate R&D and how yeah. many wonderful, amazing things come out of corporate, and you're like, that's not the way <laughs> sure. to do it. Okay, so what else do we do? Do you want the EU to figure out what we should build next? That's, that's not the right way to do it. Like m almost all the other models for how we get an ecosystem to sit on the right edge of risk and innovate and create what's going to be next in the world. I actually am a very big booster for this particular model. Like it, it takes builders and it takes VCs and so on and so forth. I also hate the industrialization of venture capital yeah. because it, it, yeah. <laughs> it feels it's like just it different. turns. It, yeah. It's not just different. We can be more, it, I think it ruins parts of that model. It messes with parts of that model that I think are becoming more obvious now that we're out of the B2B SaaS go-go times. Um, yeah, yeah, the satisfaction of everything.
on a different topic. What AI product have you slowed down your life to explore this past week? It's not even slowed down. I have been, so I listen to a lot of podcasts. I basically have the habit of anytime I have any downtime unless it's specifically like thinking time. I, I'm doing the dishes. I'm going outside to take a dog for a walk. I have a kind of running list of podcasts going. I've been using Marco Arment's uh, Overcast for, mm-hmm. for many years. One of my best go-to examples of everything doesn't have to be venture scale. Like sometimes yeah. the most amazing product is a one-person effort and it's a beautiful thing. And I love that product and there's a lot of love in it. I certainly use it over, say, I don't know, like Spotify is trying to mix in my podcast with my music stupidness or yeah. Apple podcasts. For the first time in, I don't know how long it's been, five, six, seven, eight years, I don't use Overcast anymore. So I switched to a product called Snipped, S-N-I-P-D. It is okay. what an amazing difference it makes. Obviously, it's not changing how you listen to podcasts. It is still a podcast player. It's probably lower on features than than a, a product like Overcast, which has had many years. But that's what you want with technolo- technological innovation, yeah. right? Is that a, a startup can start with not without having even hit table stakes for the market, but there's some feature that's so good that it drives your behavior. The thing in particular that I always want is you're listening to a podcast. I'm in the car. Somebody says something you want to remember. And the feature I've always wanted is like, can you just please just clip? I want my DVR TiVo feature for my podcast. Like just clip the last 30 seconds and do something smart with it so that I don't lose these ideas as they're coming as I'm mm. coming across them. I think this company has been around for a little while now, but without all the AI features that they had. So I think it used to be a, I can triple click my earbuds and it will grab the last little 30 seconds or something like that. I think that was the previous version of this product. I did. I think I tried this a year ago or more. It's fine. It's just not good enough. Now, what it's doing is a bunch of incredibly wonderful things. First of all, is, as I'm scrolling through podcasts, it's using AI to do s- summarization of the whole podcast. So instead of it being the thing that you or I would write about this podcast, which may or may not be accurate, it's actually looking at the transcript and giving me a real summarization of the topics that are going on in there. Very interesting. It then breaks up the podcast dynamically into chapter clips. So if I don't like a topic that we're talking about right now, like if I don't want to hear about Snipped, I can double click on my ear pods and it will just go to the next chapter dynamically. That's awesome. That is awesome. Which is just like, it just changes the experience because we all know Frankly, including ours, all these podcasts go a little long. <laughs> and and part of it is that is the joy of the podcast is that it feels like you're in the room with somebody, you're listening to them go through a topic. They can you can get depth, but sometimes you just don't want to hear about something. And so the double yeah. click next chapter, even if they haven't set up and it's not, it's chapter rankings on very finite, like two, three minute scales. It's not like 20 minute scales, which is what some podcasts do. And I just love that. And then the last feature, AI native feature, which is really wonderful, is now when you triple click, it is smart about how much it clips. So it clips only the topic area, which could be in the future as well. It mm-hmm. clips the topic area that is related to the thing that you just triple click, clicked on. So somewhere between 15 seconds and like a minute and a half is what it's grabbing to try and grab the concept, which is just brilliant. And then it transcribes it into, into text. So you have a transcription and then I have that now plugged into, it has an API call that then plugs this into Readwise, which is a, uh, a kind of like note taking for podcasts and blog posts sure. and email yeah. reading app. And then I have that through an API plugged into my note taking app. 
so that basically <laughs> every single time I triple click and I, I'm not going to talk about my note-taking app because I love my note-taking app, but we got to save that. We, you can't blow it all in one week, but I, I triple click and basically it now becomes a pipeline where that becomes a permanent note for reference later on. That what the is heck actually do you do like... with that later. Uh, I, that's for the note taking app conversation. <laughs> but I'm, I'm going back to our conversation last week that 99% of our life is <laughs> mundane. <laughs> I used to tag things on delicious religiously, and I still find myself going back to that archive every now and then. And so there is some value there, but I haven't tagged anything in well over a decade. So I don't know what that says about the the stickiness and long term value that I actually derive from it. Anyway, well, the, I. I, I I said, look, I like when people say, say things that are insightful. Like a good example is I, I used a reference of puzzles versus mysteries. And that mm-hmm. has been a guiding thing for me for a little while. I came from listening to a podcast years ago, right? It's when you it's when you hear something insightful and you want to make sure you don't lose it so you can internalize it a little bit more. What I really yeah. want now is to feed into a spaced referential learning product, but maybe that's just a little bit too nerdy for most people. <laughs> but the pod, but SNP is great. So yeah, I- I'm a fellow Overcast user, and I think that Marco's just got great taste. It's an opinionated product. There's a bunch of different flourishes that have really resonated with me over the years. What do you miss in in Snipped that Overcast gave you? Is- I'm opening up Overcast in front of me right now to look through. So he does a really good job of having custom clipping at the beginning and the end of podcasts. So some of these mm-hmm. podcasts you know, start with, a minute and a half of ads in the beginning, or a lot of times I find like the last minute of the outro was always useless. Like they just go bloviate for, I lose a minute and a half of my life every time I listen to a podcast at the end. And I actually really like the simple clean feature of like how many seconds of the outro do you want to cut from the end of every single podcast, which when you're listening ongoing is helpful. I also think his shortened silences um, is a very nice feature. I think those two are probably the simple ones that kind of like bug me. There's probably other stuff. Um, yeah. Isn't it funny? The, the, I forget what he calls it, but the shortened silences feature is so lovingly done. And when he's spoken about how he built that in the past, you just realize here's somebody who loves his craft. It It is so great that when I listen on other players and I try their speed up equivalent, it's just yeah. jarring. It's not as good. Right? People, it's just jarring. It's, like not, it's not listenable. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Interesting. Oh, the last I'll, one I'll is Snipped. Very, very simple one also is Snipped is very bad at downloading episodes ahead of time. So it's uh, fine for streaming, but like I get on a plane and the only thing it yeah. downloads is are things are already sitting in the queue. And I want it to just, it's audio, man. It doesn't take up that much space. Just like download hundreds of podcasts so I can listen to what I want. It's still bad at that. Uh, these things, but the whole point is like, is it going to, is it in a, in a year is Snip going to be able to download more podcasts? Like, yeah, probably. But but they, they created a new for me at least. They created a reason worth switching, and now I've got a new default. And defaults matter. Yep, yep. Not to get too far ahead of things, but you can imagine that if it knows the unstructured segments of podcasts that you actually like and the ones that you skip there can be an entire discovery piece around around segments rather than episodes or podcasts itself. Like here is some esoteric podcast talking in depth around a note-taking app that's going to resonate with you for these reasons because that's your yeah. catnip. Oh yeah. yeah, exactly. That feels like, especially in a world where it feels like everybody woke up a year after COVID 
with a great Zoom setup and some mics and decided to start a podcast. Like we're going to have so much audio. It's hilarious. Like I know we're contributing to the problem, but everybody with a podcast does create a new problem, which is content discovery. And I don't think for most podcasts, the answer is new things to subscribe to, to listen to every single episode. But if Snipped works, you can also see this cycle where you can listen to snippets that are more valuable. It was, I'm sure their original value proposition I know it was because I saw it a while ago. I don't think it works. You don't have enough data and you don't have enough nuance and unstructured organization before LLMs. And now with LLMs, no. I actually think there's a possibility where a kind of like, okay, idea for a product might actually be a real thing. We'll see. Yeah. I, I can imagine that you're not even just getting recommended, but you're listening to a snipped podcast that is nothing but segments that they think you're going to like on a topic across a plethora of different podcasts all stitched together. Yeah, they have, they're already, I think they already are in progress on something similar. Yeah. yeah. I see. Well, listen, ship it guys. Jeremy was remarking the other night. I, I do basically record as much of my life as I can right now. Partially with the idea that it will be maybe valuable later on that, that I, I, don't, I don't know that I'm saying anything insightful, but maybe something somebody else will say is insightful or maybe does this product can do something with that audio. There's got to be a model somewhere that's going to do something with it. I think on all of that stuff, we're going to realize that nothing exciting or interesting or novel happens in 99% of our lives. And so you'll have terabytes <laughs> of content that will remind you of the dull repetitiveness of life, punctuated by punctuated by very brief moments of intense highs and lows. So Frazier, are you prognosticating that our AI summarizing our lives perfectly will drive a global nihilism understanding of the futility of our daily lives. People don't even care to that degree, right? There will be a small pocket of people who have to confront the idea that there's nothing going on. They're just not that important. (laughs) Yeah. And everybody else will be watching Sunday night football like they always had been. Emmett Shear has this thing about, I think you talked about it at dinner the other night where he's thinking, yeah, it turns out that the reason Justin TV doesn't, doesn't work is that nobody has an interesting life on a day-to-day basis. And the reason that live reality television doesn't work all the time is because even a crazy celebrity still mostly spends their day doing mundane and stupid, (laughs) stupid things. So boring. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But then you get moments like the other night when a founder is dealing with immigration hell and you're trying to figure out how to get this guy who's just flown into SFO and been held for 23 hours into the country because he's legally supposed to be there, but he didn't have the right paperwork. I'm surprised the tech industry hasn't found some way to break through with both parties in Washington on immigration. You should not have a founder of a venture-backed startup having to flee the country quickly because of visa problems when they're just trying yeah. to build a company in America. Yeah. And I mean, the visa has already been approved. He just presented the wrong piece of paper. It's just very strange. I mean, the, the, the idea that we train the best in the world and then kick them out some number of months after doesn't make any sense either. Right. Yeah. That's another thing. This may be counter to everybody hating on all the IVs and everything else. I, higher education is the magnet that pulls immigrants in the U.S. to start with, because frankly, there's already a Google office in Mumbai, right? Right. And so they're going to come here for college. And then it's our job as an ecosystem to make sure they stay, that the best and brightest who come here for college. I actually, I have my issues with higher education and the way it's structured, but it is one of the industries of which we massively dominate. And so trying to disrupt it and kill it just hurts 
the whole ecosystem of startups. So I uh, fix it, but the we should just tear it all down and colleges don't matter is ignoring what colleges mean. Right. The idea that you don't want to take the best electrical engineer in the world and put them into a six-year PhD in some esoteric area where they're going to go so deep that there might just be pure basic research that comes out of it, or it might be some some other benefit that gets kicked off. Like we should just be investing and supporting that as much as we possibly can. Yeah, look, community colleges are actually very, very beneficial to local communities. But right above that, you get a bunch of schools that aren't doing crap for anybody except for creating student debt. Fine. But for the top third to 40%, it is the beginning of the process of the engine of what makes America work. Are there problems after that? Is the idea of yet, yet another person going 12 years down PhD physics research only to find out that they're working in some field so deep that they'll likely to never hit a breakthrough at this point. And they're throwing their whole life away as one of the brightest people in America. I can make that rant too. We under-index how much cross-disciplinary learning there is when you get to actually coming through breakthroughs. And But I think if you remove it, you really do a lot of damage to the whole system. So, But even that, I'm just looking up Dario from Anthropics LinkedIn. He has a PhD in biophysics, right? So he went deep Great. in some sort of some sort of weird talk. I don't even know what biophysics would be. And now he's <laughs> he's running anthropics. I think that there's certain types of minds that that get attracted to these deep programs that also then learn how to learn and and grind and all, all sorts of different skills that are quite applicable and valuable for, for creating pretty profound things. Yeah. Well, I think that's fair. I think people have a hard time with the non-deterministic nature of it all too. This idea of who do we let in and what are they going to study? Yeah. And it's, we as a society seem to want everything to be rapidly deterministic, right? I come in to get the biophysics. How many biophysics jobs are there in the world? Do we need more people in biophysics? It's just a very linear thinking when the nature of an economy, the nature of our, frankly, our human lives, the nature, certainly the nature of innovation and startups is that a little bit of randomness and a little bit of chaos is pretty important. And that comes to college admissions, that comes to job admissions, that comes to what you're going to work on 10 years from now in your life, all of that. But we live in an era of data science and, and, and numbers. So the, the things that seem to belie that, that determinist nature, people have trouble with. So here, um, here are the names, random seeds, latent chat, unsupervised learning, weekly prompts. What do you think? <laughs> so, okay, wait, wait, let's start over again. The potential names that was this, did we use ChatGPT or Claude for this? We use Claude the and, and ChatGPT. And ChatGPT. Yeah. Okay. So using both Claude and ChatGPT, the yeah. answers, and this is the, just so we're clear, this is a cold, this is like the top 10% of the answers that <laughs> GPT and Claude gave us for names for this podcast, right? R run it down again, Frazier. Random seeds, latent <laughs> chat. I, I'm even oh editing, so I won't edit it. Tensor talk, <laughs> tensor talk, <laughs> unsupervised learnings. And and the other one that I removed at the start was gen talk, because anytime anybody says gen A, I cringe and die a little yeah. bit inside. I'm not sure that any of these are great. They do have a certain dad humor quality to them that I appreciate. <laughs> yeah. Isn't um, that interesting? Is it, it just reinforces how hard humor is to capture which is well it's obviously there's just too much dad humor in the training data <laughs> that's the, uh... well that's what i mean like <laughs> the, the funny people are funny because that's a scarce resource it's not like everybody's walking around being hilarious that's right i have no strong response to this at all you're right unsupervised learning is the least cringe i can at least say that 
but if you are one of the handful of folks that likely listen and you have a suggestion as well, uh, let us know. And that's, let's let call it for today. Let's call it. Thanks. Awesome. Talk to you later. See you, man.